I want you to ask one another this one question. You can tell one another what you are most devoted to. I'm going to show you a really short video just to get your juices flowing a bit, okay? Just take a look at this. So that was the Jack Butland from the England football team. Now, how do you know what he's devoted to? He's devoted to football. How can you tell? Because he spends his whole day doing football, eats football, trains with football, goes and supports others, encourages others with football, trains some more, does stuff in the gym. I don't know what you said to the person sitting next to you, but if they were to follow you for a week, would they be able to figure out what you had just said to them about what you were devoted to or not? If someone were to look at you over the last week of your life, what do you think they would say about where your devotion really lies? We've been looking together, haven't we, at Jesus' command, command to go and make disciples, Matthew 28. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And we've been looking at what that really means to, to be a disciple. We recognized it was in Jesus' DNA. Right at the very outset of his ministry, he says to those that were going to come, his disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The outset, he said, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be one? What is it that we have to go and do when we're going to make disciples or disciple the nations? What does that really mean? And we've been looking together at Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, as we read again your word from Acts 2, as we think more about it today, we ask that you would speak into our hearts and our lives. Spirit of God, we need you to challenge us and encourage us and speak to us through your word. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today I want to focus on this. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We've just looked at what it really means to be devoted. Devoted means that they are steadfastly involved in, that they continue to be involved in. Last week, what did I do to you guys? Split you up, didn't I? And I said, go, and there was a whole list of questions because we were steadfastly involved in what? In fellowship right? Now, how many of you came today and thought, you know what, I'm going to sit somewhere different. I'm going to sit with someone I don't know. How many of you came yesterday to the, the Golden Years party and thought, you know what, I've got a great opportunity at this party to go and meet people I don't know? That's what it means to be steadfastly involved in, right? It means if we are keen on fellowship, if fellowship is one of our priorities, then 
you know what? I shouldn't have to get you to move out of your normal seats on a Sunday morning because actually you're never, you don't have a normal seat. You actually come to church and go, you know what, I've not sat with that person before. Let me go sit with them and just talk to them. How was your week? What's your name? How are you doing? Let me share it with you. Steadfastly involved in it says the breaking of bread. Now what does that mean? What do you think it means, the breaking of bread? A meal? A sharing? It means everything you just said. First of all, in the Bible, nearly always it's talking about a regular meal. Verse 46, it says, every evening they broke bread together, right? They sat down and they ate together. They invited one another over for dinner. How many of you like food? Pretty unanimous. Yeah? So that's what they did. They, they, every night, they says, they, hey, come over to my place. We're having pizza this tonight, you know, so come over or whatever. And it means that they had regular meals together, but we also recognize in the scriptures, what did Jesus do? And we will remind ourselves, he took the bread and he broke it, right? It was part of the Passover supper, part of a meal that they ate together, but it's, it's a both and, not an either or. And the thing is here that when we think about that, it's, it reminds us that our faith, our religion, and our life, they're, they're interwoven together. What is more holy? To sit down with a meal with your friends at home and have a nice, nice dinner together, or to come here and have communion? Which is more holy? Which is more pleasing to God? Depends if it's got ice cream in my case. They're both, right? There's no difference. Well, there's a difference. But there's no difference in, in the way that it is for God. What makes the difference? Your attitude. Your attitude makes the difference. You can come and have communion with a really good attitude that you're here to praise God and worship God and have fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can come here with a really bad attitude and just go, well, I'm coming because I need to come. I haven't been for a while. I'll probably get a knock on the door if I don't come. Somebody will come around, start harassing me. Whatever, right? Or you can just come, whereas I just do it every week and I don't really think about it. I just come and I just take communion and I go away again. And in the same way, when we eat with friends, we, we can eat together and it'd be a really spiritual event, a spiritual moment. Or we can just sit down and here's your plate of beans on toast. Get on with it. And it's nothing, right? It's our attitude that makes the difference. And the new believers, they met together in the temple courts, but they also met together in one another's houses. And both, both were part of what it means to be the church. Both were their devotion to worshiping God. You see, they were steadfastly involved in the breaking of bread, in worship. Worship is about your heart. 
is about what you do. It's about saying, God, you are worthy of my praise, my adoration, my everything. And you can do that as well at eating a meal with friends at a restaurant or at home as you can do it in the church, coming to worship him. It depends on your attitude. They met 14 times a week. The word says in verse 46, every morning they met together where? In the temple courts. And every evening they met together in people's houses. 14 times a week they met. We'd be sick of one another, wouldn't we? Imagine it. 14 times a week, every morning, every evening. You see, devotion is made visible by your action. You can say, I don't know what you said about what you were devoted to, but that's why I said if somebody was to trail you for a week, they would really be able to tell what you're devoted to. Because your devotion is seen in your action. When you have an opportunity to be, if you say you're devoted to fellowship, but you stay with the same group of people and you never go and talk to anybody else, are you really devoted? We can say we're devoted to the Word of God, but if we only pick it up every Sunday when the preacher opens it up, are we really devoted? We can say we're devoted to our children, but if we don't actually spend time with our children because we're too busy doing other things, are we really devoted to them? See what I'm saying? Our lifestyle would determine, it's like you can see really what our devotion is. Some people are more devoted to EastEnders than anything else, right? Or to football. I know people are devoted to football more than anything else. Their whole diary revolves around when the matches are on. And so if Mike was to say, can you come over, I'd be going, no, I wouldn't tell him it's a Champions League night for Arsenal. Oh, it's not Arsenal, is it? Because they're not in there anymore. But, you know, for, for Man City, I'd say, no, no, I can't. I'm sorry, I'm busy that night. Because it would be too embarrassing to say, actually, I prefer to watch Man City than go to Mike and Joe's for dinner, right? So you just, but people are like that, right? So when we, when we think about our devotion, think about your lifestyle. Because your lifestyle will tell you what you're really devoted to. Some people say they're devoted to their husband or devoted to their wife, but they're really pleased when they leave the house. Right? I'm devoted to them, but don't get them too near me. That's not devotion, right? What do you drop everything else to go do? And if we're going to cooperate with the Spirit of God, then the Word says we need to make worship a priority in our lives. Worship is our attitude towards God in what we're doing. That needs to be central. What is our worship supposed to be like? Well, firstly, verse 47 is supposed to be God-centered. It needs to be focused on God. It said in verse 47, it says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. His praise, his honor, his glory, his word, his desires. That's what's important in our worship. It's God-centered. 
How many times have you ever come out of a worship service or have I ever come out of a worship service and then started saying something negative about what happened? All of us, right? Guilty. And I know I'm not the only one. Oh, didn't like it today. We had two hymns. That's too long. Too long to stand on your feet. Don't know what that Philip thinks he's doing. You know what you've done? I'll tell you right now, you haven't worshipped. Because what is worship about? Worship is about being heaven-focused, right? I can come to church every single Sunday and never worship. I can sing the hymns. I can do the prayers. I can follow Mike right along with his leading. And I never have worshipped. Because if my heart is about what I want and not about what he wants, then I'm not worshiping. If I don't like the hymn, I'm not worshiping. If I go out there and complain because, oh, I didn't like that hymn. We should never sing that hymn again. It's a terrible hymn. Somebody did that to me once. They never did it again. Because I went off on one. I don't know what happened. But I said, oh, you don't like that hymn. Because they said, I didn't like the third hymn. So I said, well, should we just take it out then? In fact, should we have just a discussion amongst ourselves and take out every single hymn that somebody doesn't like? Because I don't want to offend anybody. And they said, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. And I said, well, why did you tell me then? You know, but it's true for all of us, right? When we come in on a Sunday or when you wake up on a Monday morning or I wake up, we have a choice whether we're going to worship God or not. I can say, I'm going to worship God today. My day is going to be God-focused. I'm going to give God the glory. I'm going to give God the praise. I'm going to give God the honor for whatever happens in my life today. Or we can say, you know what? I'm central. I come because of what I like, what I want, what I need. And my day is going to revolve around that. And the truth is, if you're honest, if I'm honest with myself, so often we end up on that side than on the worship side. Isn't that true? Worship. That's why worship can be God-centered. Or is God-centered, but worship can be a meal with friends if it's God-centered, right? As much as having communion. I was at a board meeting on Friday for Emmanuel International. All-day board meeting in Dulwich, of all places. And then we went out for a curry tonight in the evening as a board. And I said to somebody, this is more church than churches. You know why? Because we were devoted to one another. We were devoted to what we were accomplishing together. We came from all over the country to get there, from Devon, from up north, somewhere way north of Watford, in the far reaches of the empire. London, we came together with one purpose, to honor God through the organization. And then we went out and we shared together, and the meal that we shared, we were still talking about spiritual things and about the things of God. It was a day of worship. 
That's what we can do if we worship God. God sent it. Secondly, it's corporate too. In this passage in the Bible, not one of them ever goes away and locks themselves off on their own, do they? Look at what it says. It says, they, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching. Everyone, verse 43, was filled with awe. Verse 44, all the believers were together. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Verse 46, they broke bread together. There was no individual worship. Now, I'm not saying individual worship is bad. But the early church did everything together. They, they, everyone, right? You get the picture. Now, why? Why do you think they did everything together? To learn from one another? Devotion to one another? I've given you the answer up there, John 17, 23. Fellowship? Support one another? John 17, 23 is Jesus' prayer for, his, for those that would follow. I pray for them that they may have complete unity so that the world may believe that you have sent me. They did everything together for all the reasons you said, support, encouragement. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, I think it is. Is that right? Where have I written it down? It says that, something like that anyway. Hebrews 10 says that they met together every day. Do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? So that you may encourage one another. And all the more as the day of the Lord nears. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. How can you bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ if you're on your own? Right? To pray for one another. They, they did this so that there may be a unity that comes together. When we sing praises together, when we honor God together, when we receive communion together, when we worship together, it builds that unity because we're all doing the same thing. We're all honoring the same God with our worship and our praise. They did it together. And lastly, it was balanced. Think about it. Everything they did was both God-focused, but also included one another. Just said that. It was God-centered, but it was corporate. There was a balance between what they did. There was that encouragement. Hebrews, sorry, it's Hebrews 10, 25. Not 23. Hebrews 10, 25. There was an encouragement that they had together. They did it together, but they, they joined their hearts in the focus of God together. There was a balance but also, it was both formal and informal. They met together where? Temple courts, formal. Let's go for a little worship service. And where did they meet? In their houses. When, when somebody comes to your house of an evening, how formal is it? You don't get them to dress up in dinner wear, do you? You don't say, now, you know, now we have a certain etiquette here. You have to behave yourselves. This is how we're going to do it. It's informal. Come, sit down. Let me, you know, get your sherry, relax, chill. I'm just going to 
you know, just going to heat up the the food that I bought from the shop earlier. I mean, the one that I made earlier, you know, it's informal, right? And you, and it was true for the early believers. And we need both. You know, one of the reasons Phil changed it today was because I asked him to. So don't blame him. But we changed it. Why? Because, because we need an informality as well as a formality. Both are really good. You need your liturgy because that tells you the truth and the story over and over again, and there's a power in that. But there's also a power in the informality when we allow the Spirit of God to have freedom and to work through that informality. If we were purely formal, I would never ask you to move seats, would I? You would come, you would sit, you'd sit next to the same people. You could do that for the next 50 years of your life and never meet anybody else. And many in church do that. A friend of mine, Anglican minister, he preached in this church. And he had, there was an old Anglican church, you know, where, where he had to kind of go over to the side and up into the pulpit to preach, not to lead the service. And he got up into the pulpit and he looked out and there was no one in the church. You know why? When he was leading, he could see the sort of dozen or so people. But they sat in the same seats that they always sat in. And as the church numbers declined, they didn't move because that was their seat. And where he was from the pulpit, all he could see was pillars, and their seats were directly behind the pillars. So he said it was the most uncanny experience of his life, preaching to an empty church that wasn't really empty. And every now and again, he would see a head pop out from behind the pillar as he preached. Crazy, right? Lastly, it was both joyful and reverent. Verse 46 says this. Every day they continued to meet in the courts, temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts. There was a joy about meeting together. Why? There was a joy about praising God. Why? Well, think about what God has done for us. Okay, and we're nearly out. But spend one minute to the person next to you. Think of all the good things that Jesus Christ has done for you. Go, one minute. Right, what do you got? What's Christ done for us? Friendship, what else? Trust, what else? Cheered you up, what else? Beautiful world, what else? Forgiveness. Always being there. Died for us. I'm glad that was in there as we got communion in a bit. What else? Love. What else? Healing. What else? Acceptance. What else? Beautiful. Light in the morning after the darkness. Sometimes we're in dark places in our lives and God helps us out of those. Family. What else? We get two families. It's like like coupons, you get two for the price of one. All right, you get your own family and you get the church family. It's awesome. What else? Patience. It's given us the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? What else has he done? It's brought us transformation in our lives. We're not the same as we used to be. And we're not going to be the same as we are today, tomorrow, are we? Because we're on a journey. What else? Eternal life? Healing? Yeah. What else? Answers to prayer? 
so much, right? And we could just keep on going. I could have a flip chart up here and we could just keep going with all the things that God has done for us. What does that make us feel? Thankful? Joyful? Out of all the people in the world, Christians should not have depressed faces, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's times where we go through real hardship. I get that, right? But generally, our spirits should be one of joy, yeah? All we have to do is think about everything God has done for us because the things that you've just spoken about cannot be taken away because they come from God. Nobody can take away God's presence from you. No one can take away his, his impact in your life. No one can take away the salvation that God brings. No one can take away eternal life. Right? Only we can do that for ourselves. So we should be joyful, but also think about who God is. It says in verse 43 that they were also filled with awe at God. Why? Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that we, that we worship and adore. He's the, you know the, all the omni words? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Nobody knows what they mean, but they sound good, don't they? But he's all of that, isn't he? He's far beyond us. We can only glean just a tiny bit about the, ma the magnificent and the majesty of who God is. God is beyond even language to even try and understand. You read the book of Revelation. It's really a book about John trying to put into, into language the things that has no language for. Because it's so massive, he kind of goes, well, it's kind of like this, but it isn't like this really. Because he doesn't have the language to even describe who God is. And we do a disservice to God sometimes, I think, when we use sort of English because we're so limited. How can you describe the, the majesty of God? Because majesty is, just doesn't describe it, right? If we were to stand in the very presence of God in the courts of heaven, lang language becomes pointless. You, you can't use it to describe what God is like. You, you ever been somewhere, like a, on a sunset or a, you know, one of those captivating moments in nature, and then you try and describe it to someone else? You know, we, we were up in Wales a couple of weeks ago, up in, up in Snowdonia. And I get my little iPhone out, and I'm taking pictures of all the mountains that we clambered up to the top of. And I'm standing there, I said to Inika, this is pointless. Because I can show you the pictures, I could beam them up there, and you go, hmm. But I was nothing compared to what it's like when you stand there. You know what I'm talking about. And if that's true for the world, how much more true is it for God? And so we're filled with awe and reverence. And our worship needs to be that balance between the two. That we come in awe and reverence of God, but we come with joyfulness to God. Because he's our heavenly father. And he invites us and says, hey, come. That's worship. And the new believers were steadfastly involved in all of that. I asked you, if someone were to look at you, your life over the last week, would they say you were devoted to worship? And if the answer is, hmm, what do you think you could do 
to change something in your life so that we, each one of us, become more devoted to worship. Because God wants your worship Monday through Sunday, not just Sunday only. He's as interested tomorrow in how you worship him as he is right now. Let's pray. Father, those new believers demonstrated for us what worship is all about. Every day they met together. Every day they worshipped you. Every day they found ways in their own community, in their own way, to worship you. Now, we can't meet together every day. Our lives don't allow that as it did then. But Lord, help us to find ways to worship you. May I wake up tomorrow and just say, Lord, help me to worship you today. Help me to sing your praises today. Help me to to just have that attitude, that attitude that adores you, that loves you, that wants to worship you, that recognizes your handiwork. Lord, help me to worship. Teach me how to worship you every moment of every day till I get to worship you 24-7 with my brothers and sisters in heaven. Thank you, we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.